0: In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck, in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time. To start honoring my yes, and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, Finding my fearless voice along the way. Now I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Are you ready to minimize overwhelm and maximize your capacity to do your best work? In April, I'll be offering the Spring Clean for Authors four week online support group to help you declutter your personal and professional lives. You can show your interest by pre-RSVPing today. Just visit ethanfreckleton.com/declutter. That's ethanfreckleton.com/declutter. Link will also be available in the show notes. Inspired by the success of other self-published authors over nine years ago, Lindsay Baroker abandoned the idea of becoming a Trad published author. Fast forward now, and she's released over 70 novels and is quickly working toward financial independence. Most important, perhaps, is that the idea of writing remains her favorite way to pass time. Uh, Lindsay Broker, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm happy to have you. Uh, I think your podcast, Very Early Days, that is no more the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast was one of the two writing podcasts I found before I ever started writing stories. And I think this was the one that made me feel like, hey, maybe this didn't have to be an intimidating journey. And maybe that if I had a little bit of a slacker ethos in terms of feeling like I was never doing enough, (laughs) that maybe I would have permission to, to just focus on doing the things that were joyful. And I got a lot of permission from your early podcasts to do that.
1: Well, so. we are always open about the mistakes we've made and uh, on that podcast, and then we have the new Six Figure Authors one also, and none of us are perfect. <laughs> we've made plenty of mistakes, and you know, I, I'm able to still make a nice living as an author, so hopefully that's encouraging for folks that uh, may be intimidated by maybe all the things now you're supposed to be doing for marketing and publishing and writing lots of books you know it's real tough
0: (laughs) right and you know i know some people are uncomfortable talking about money and those specifics and i know you've shared that and i imagine that must feel vulnerable to do so
1: it is a little weird and i i rarely get specific anymore but i i felt like when we started the new podcast i had to like establish okay you know we we have the uh sales to back this up and know what we're talking about at least a little bit but it is, you don't know if people are going to feel you're bragging or, you know, others will be inspired maybe. Yeah. So it is a little fuzzy area and it can be a little vulnerable, like you said.
0: Yeah. But on the flip side, I know a lot of people put off ever starting because they feel like they have to be perfect to do it. And it's, I, I personally find it a relief to hear that people can stumble a lot and still make six figures doing what they love.
1: Yeah, I do think it's a little more freeing to be self-publishing. Like I always felt when, you know, I was going to query agents and all that stuff that everything had to be perfect or you didn't even have a shot, you know, of getting out of the slush pile. At -hmm. least now you can take a shot and even if everything is not perfect, maybe you'll find that some people are at least drawn to, you know, like maybe your characters were really good, even if you maybe didn't get it edited as well as you should have or you know there there's just some new author things you're doing and you don't realize but i don't know at least you can get your shot now
0: yeah yeah and so for people who don't know you because i'm in the same community as we overlap but for people who don't know you what would you like to share about yourself
1: I am an author of science fiction and fantasy. I got my start at right before Christmas, 2010. So I just had my nine year anniversary. Mm. And at the time I had two novels written, but not in the same series because that was the advice at the time, you know, when you, I, cause I thought I had traditional publish, mm. uh, if I could do it, you know, if I could get that gig, <laughs> uh, they were like, don't start a series until, you know, you've sold the first one. So I felt like I had hardly anything publish when i first started i was really envious of people that had this big backlist or like trunk novels Mm. you know so they could just put out like eight things and i'm like wow i'm never gonna have that many and uh now i haven't done a count recently but i I think i'm over 60 novels uh between my name and i did about 15 under a pen name also at one point Mm. so if you just keep gradually writing and publishing they do build up
0: yeah, and so you, you're you pretty fast now, I imagine, at writing, but you weren't always so.
1: No, I like to tell people it took seven years for me to get that first novel done, which is true. Uh, there were some breaks for World of Warcraft and uh, other addictions <laughs> in there, but it it was very gradually increased, and when I started doing it full-time, I heard about how much other people were writing, and that inspired me to sort of get my want to get my process down a little better, mm. you know, so that when I wrote the first draft, I wouldn't have to then go and spend months editing it. Uh, So I started outlining and, you know, I think just with practice too, I got a little better at not having to throw away whole chapters or rewrite the ending. And Mm. so that helped.
0: Mm. Yeah. And were there like any major obstacles you had to overcome in terms of like mindset or beliefs about what you were doing?
1: I think, Coming, you know, I've probably been wanting to be published since I was a kid and, you know, kind of started and stopped and didn't always finish things and joined workshops a few times. Mm. And so I had that mentality of, you know, indie indie publishing wasn't really much of a thing
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: until about 10 years ago. So I always thought, you know, you wanted to be traditionally published. Self-publishing was for losers. And uh, even though now I'm like really relieved I went this route and that I have control and I can get something out there as soon as I write it, I don't have to wait two years for it to come out. There's always been sort of like, well, I never got that validation from a publisher, you know, that said, hey, Mm. your, your book's okay. You're good enough. So it's funny, even though you have, you know, develop a fan base and you can even be making really good money. Uh, And I know Joanna Penn has talked about this too, the comparisonitis thing. Mm -hmm. I I do think there's still a little bit of that, like, oh man, I I never got picked by a traditional publisher. So I just don't know if I, you know, could I even get a gig if I submitted to the slush piles now? Would anybody pick it up? And I think (laughs) probably not, you know, unless they were looking at my, sales history of other books and things.
0: You're not good enough to be a $20,000 author. Is that what you're saying? Or even 5000
1: saying... <laughs> I think that's about what the advances are for uh, sci-fi and fantasy anyway, at least for new authors most of the time.
0: Yeah. No, I get it. I don't mean to make light. Yeah. One of the things I love like coming across in these interviews is that no matter where people are in their journey, they still experience that hit of like imposter syndrome from time to time. Like there's never a top, it feels like.
1: I think that's true. Cause I think even people that do get traditionally published and are lucky enough to have some good success, then they're like, well, what if that series was a fluke, you know, can I I do it again?
0: Right, right. Yeah, and so what were some of the um, early themes you explored? in your work? Were you conscious of that at that point? Or was it just your fun, had fun writing a story?
1: I'd like to not put a, you know, too much pressure on myself to be deep and meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely consider myself uh, just kind of a genre fiction author writing for entertainment but one of the things I do like about fantasy and sci-fi, when you set it in a made-up world with like made-up religions and made-up politics, it does let you sort of say things about the current state of our situation <laughs> living in our world without expressly naming anybody or even mm. saying which party there is so there you know for people that like to look for that stuff there's a little bit of it in there yeah. i i find i can't write without making some kind of commentary about <laughs> the the human situation and i'm sure that most authors feel that way
0: yeah i'm sure everybody has a purpose and and in your stories do you feel like do you have a bad guy like is there a real villain or is it just a little ambiguous in your stories
1: right you know occasionally but i've never been one that wants to do just this is this evil creature on a mountain you know in in the tower of doom or whatever that they have to defeat it's i would say almost always it's either human or a very human-like character who is just driven by believing something different Mm. and you know I, I do try you know every now and then you end up with a villain that's just sort of <laughs> a stereotype i suppose but i i do try to make the motivations even if they don't get up and on the stage and say their motivations i mm. at least know them and i try to make them act logically based on their goals and i try not to paint either the, the heroes as coming from this perfect civilization or any of them as being perfect i even though i write sci-fi and fantasy i almost always do human characters or characters who are very human even if they're an elf or something like
0: that Mm, mm, mm. and what do you think kind of maybe informs those values was there something from your past that that led you to kind of make those choices
1: i suppose just uh being a reader always from a young age and kind of growing up in seattle is pretty liberal out there <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know my parents were my dad is a scientist uh and he was always kind of had academic people over and so tend to be a little science based in, in most of my beliefs um, i try not to pretend like i know everything and I, mm-hmm. that's another thing is like i don't try to make my characters like this is the way it is and anybody that doesn't believe what we believe is wrong because i don't actually believe that i just i think we all have our own Perceptions based on how we were shaped and uh, everything we've read and learned over the years. Yeah. So that's, you know, just, I bet a bit growing up on the West Coast, I think, and and a bit my parents, of course, and reading lots of books in the 80s, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was a Navy brat. So I noticed that said on your bio that you were a soldier in the U.S. Army. And I imagine that must have like, grown your perceptions and perspectives a bit.
1: I was in for four years. I think what it did is introduce me to a lot of people of different beliefs from different yeah. parts of the country. I, I don't know if I changed my beliefs, but uh <laughs> you know, and it, it tried to, you know, and it's great to know that you can really get along with anyone in most mm-hmm. situations. We, you know, the internet right now is so polarizing. I think social media really facilitates that or maybe allows it and you're arguing with people and you don't actually see their face and how they react when you say something so you don't realize how hurtful things can be or how angry it can make someone but you know when you're actually working with people and you have common goals uh, you realize that it's you can get along with almost everyone it's not Mm. really you know the the internet's made things a little (laughs) strange Uh, as far as how we evolved as humans and uh, (laughs) how things should work. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting seeing what technology continues to uh, do with us or if we go back to maybe a little less of that. I I feel like already right now there's a bit of a pushback and you see some Mm -hmm. younger people wanting less of the screen time and actually wanting to go out and experience (laughs) things with people in person. And so... I, re- right. I forget what the question was. I rambled. <laughs>
0: That's all right. I think you answered it. I Just that you can get along with almost everybody is really a pretty powerful lesson. I, I know that was one that was ingrained in me just from childhood of having moved around all the time and being with different people. But um, so speaking of social media and, and, and that is there, a place for that in your own worlds? Like, do you address that or do your worlds tend to steer clear of having this in your world building?
1: Uh, In my sci-fi series that I'm working now, they definitely have, uh, you know, like, they have chips, they can just do all their internet <laughs> from their head. Um, hmm. So they have ways to contact each other, but I, I haven't, you know, I have hinted at, yes, people have uh, reputations online and social media stuff, but it's very much kind of a space opera series. So it's a little more, you know, galactic war kind of thing. So that tends to be a minor part of the setting. And then I'm also working on an urban fantasy series that's set, on earth in our times, which is a new one for me. And uh, (laughs) so Mm. there's a little bit of the mom checking up on her daughter through like the social media posts. So I I don't have any big statements about it in my uh, worlds. I tend to just accept in the worlds where it makes sense for it to be there, it exists, but I haven't really done a story exploring it um, in particular.
0: Right, I'm, I'm sure if I had it in my stories, they wouldn't move very far. Like Characters would just sit there and scroll their brain all day, and that wouldn't be too interesting, I imagine, unless it was a Hitchcockian space opera. But um, so you mentioned you're going into a new genre, urban fantasy, and you've had success with the other genres you're writing in. So, what's motivating that, and, and do you have concerns?
1: I actually did not want to do urban fantasy um, it's a super competitive branch of fantasy mm-hmm. and it's not really what I grew up reading it's I would say you know there's exceptions but it's kind of a newer subgenre. like I feel like in the last 20 years it's kind of come on strong and there were certainly examples of stuff before that but I was always reading like Dungeons and Dragons and uh, Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms and sort of you know sh- Terry Brooks and all the epic mm-hmm. fantasy from mm-hmm. uh, David Eddings was a favorite of mine. So that's sort of my foundation in fantasy. So I wasn't going to get into urban fantasy at all. I, I'd even tried quite a few authors and I'm like, well, these are okay, but they're not quite my thing. Yeah. Um, but I had the idea for a story or a character I should say, who was, you know, I was a little bit inspired by Gross Point Blank. She's uh, dealing with some issues as she gets into her 40s and seeing a therapist. She's actually a kind of an assassin for magical bad guys. So she's got a few issues to uh, work through. And I I just thought, well, this is not going to be as fun in a sort of a made up especially if it was like a historical setting it would feel maybe like an anachronism Mm -hmm. to have the therapist and that kind of thing and and be texting or I'd have to come up with some equivalent so because of the character I was inspired and you know I I saw hers out of this world I said okay well let's give it a try we'll give urban fantasy a shot and as we're recording this I'm about a month from launching the series Mm. I've written the first the first three are yeah the those are done. Fourth one, I just sent to my beta readers. So I'm writing, you know, getting them ahead before I launch the series, which which I like to do both for marketing and because it really lets me, you know, I kind of world build on the fly. So if I come up with with something in book three and I haven't published book one yet, I can go back and and tinker Mm. and put the new idea in. So we'll see how it goes. I'm fortunate enough at this point to have you know money to spend on advertising so hopefully if i'm like can spend some i can get things rolling and i know some of my fans are also fans of like ilana andrews who does mm-hmm. the um, contemporary urban fantasy or i guess yeah. kind of a, dy- a dystopian future-ish <laughs> slightly futurist urban fantasy So hopefully they will cross over with me and I'll maybe pick up some new readers. And again, hopefully it will be close enough to what the genre expectations are that people will enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I imagine tone's important when you're, when you're connecting your readers to, to something like if they, you know that they're fans of Alana Andrews, some of them, and your tone is right. I imagine that would be a positive thing, even if you, didn't meet all the conventions i would imagine
1: i will certainly hope so because i am known for kind of a little bit of snark and a, a lot of banter between the characters and that does seem to be typical in urban urban fantasy so mm. hopefully <laughs> at least the, hopefully they'll enjoy the characters and i think that'll be fun the stories right. are fun too
0: so i don't typically go too much into tactics and strategy but i am curious to know um like how do you learn about your readers how do you know which ones are some of them like Alana Andrews how do you get that
1: a lot of them just reply when I you know I send my newsletters out I'll get replies and people will tell you incredible amounts about themselves uh you know over the internet because they feel they know you after they've read however many of your books you know mm-hmm. your, your buddies and you're like okay well this is really deep sharing you're doing but um I'll just try to say something not too dumb in reply and I, I have done kind of informal surveys on through my Facebook author page. I've got quite a few folks that follow on there. So I know we did one where I asked, uh, how did you guys first find my books? And I found mm. out that I have a lot of uh, BookBub subscribers in mm. there. So I guess I'll continue to try to run promos with them when I can get them. But yeah. it, it's interesting. I I mean, they tell you, Flipbub tells you they have millions of subscribers, but you don't quite realize how much reach they have and how many people are actually on that mailing list getting their daily mailings.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I guess I would ask this in your six-figure author forum, but since you're here, um, one of the things I don't hear too often people address is, like, what percentage of their marketing budget do they really, like, from a mindset perspective or you at least, Like, just know that you're going to spend learning how to market your book versus, you know, versus the amount of money that's going to reliably then bring you a return. I
1: think I get to play around a lot because I do write pretty quickly and I've launched several series, 10, series 12, I'm not sure at this point. So that gives me an opportunity every time and I can kind of learn something. And I've learned that some genres just do better for me in some advertising venues than others. Right now, I'm, you know, like many others doing the Amazon ads for the most part. I, I do Facebook a little bit. I do book, book, their pay-per-click stuff a little bit. Um, as far as how much, you know, I think people can not, don't have to commit to spending a lot. You can mm. learn a lot with a couple of campaigns, maybe bidding $5 a day. Right. And I'm still learning. I'm honestly not that great at composing ads. <laughs> I listen to, you know, whenever uh, David Gogren or Brian Meeks or one of those guys, or Brian Cohen's done a lot with Amazon ads lately, you know, when they're talking, I'm like, okay, I better listen. Uh, and I find that it's, it's, You know, I enjoy the writing is the thing I enjoy the most. So I tend to focus on and try to learn more around the launches of a new series and then sort of let things go into the background. Mm. I might check in a couple times a month to make sure I'm not some campaign hasn't gone crazy and isn't spending a lot of money or make sure it hasn't fallen off altogether. But I sort of allot time. You know i'm most excited around the launch like there's the most potential because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know if you do well with the advertising it can help your visibility overall and help you get more organic sales that you're not paying for yeah. so i'm most likely to invest the most money and time kind of in that two to four weeks around the launch of a new series or this past year i did a couple i took some backlist stuff and did a couple box sets you uh, know, I was willing to spend money on advertising them as long as it looked like they were going to make more than I was spending, which, which did end up being the case. Uh, they were both in Kindle Unlimited, so even though like the price on the box set was quite low, um, you know, they could make like ten dollars on a, if somebody read all five books in the set. So right. I found them to be pretty profitable. And um, it's always nice if you've got something selling well in the background while you're working on something new. So you're not like, yeah. oh man, my earnings are dropping off. <laughs> I imagine
0: that would take the pressure off, right? Like,
1: I think so. And I think that's why when you see people who actually kill it, you know, like their series is just selling awesome. They're, they're not necessarily, there are some exceptions, but they're not the ones that are like, oh man, I got to publish a book a month because they're able to a little coast a little bit, you know? Uh, so I think that, you know, yeah. It's a, it's definitely when things are doing well, you're like a little less pressure to get out the next thing or to move on to the next series.
0: Mm. And it, it feels like in the last couple of th- years, things have really shifted toward um, it's a pay to play marketplace. And I don't know if that's really still true or not in terms of like, if you could just leverage your list giant list that you've built. Um, but First of all, is that true? And if so, like, how does that shift your thinking about your energy toward writing? Do you still need to rapid release or can you take your foot off the pedal?
1: Um, Is it pay to play? I would say it's tough now to get into like the top 100s on Amazon of your um, subgenres without putting money into advertising and it's harder to stay there. It depends on your expectations, though. I think you can still you know, build up a list, just do some promos of book one every now and then, and gradually get more readers into your series, signing up to your list, and you can still launch well and still make it, maybe even make a a good living. Mm. But if you also, you know, I think once you see how great it can be, if you can get your books to stick, you know, like let's say the top 500 on Amazon, if you've got the first three books that stick there for quite a while and you make, you know, some really good income, it's hard not to want to continue doing that each time you launch a new series. So you try to just do everything you can to stack the deck in your favor.
0: Mm.
1: But if you're, you know, when I started out, I... Hardly sold anything of my first book. It took me a while to get the second out there, and then the third. And I was just happy, though not like when I made a hundred dollars a month. You know, when I got to the mm. point where I made as much as my paper route I had when I was twelve made. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, now there's so many people sharing their earnings and their book report pictures and stuff that I feel like there's maybe more pressure to, um, you know, for a newer author or perhaps setting high expectations. Yeah. And I, I didn't really have those, (laughs) you know, we'd had Amanda Hawking at that point, you know, but I knew I wasn't writing what she was writing and she had a ton of books out. So I wasn't worried too much about, Oh, I got to make, like start making $5,000 a month right away. You know, I was just content to hopefully increase my fan base over time. And I think that's something you can still do without spending a lot on ads, you know, maybe just try to get some, uh, some of the sponsorship sites like uh, Bargain Booksy, Ereader News Today are, are still in there and pretty good. Um, Book Barbarian and Sci-Fi and Fantasy. Those don't usually cost too much, maybe like $40 to $100 for mm. a sponsored post. And so, you know, people that are on a budget can do a few things at the launch and maybe just wait before, you know, getting super involved in uh, Facebook ads or Amazon ads, things that you're going to get continuous charges on every day. right. Um, so I I think you could still build a fan base without doing that stuff I think it's just hard to like stick near the top in, in your genres
0: yeah that makes sense and one of the related resources to money I think a lot about is kind of our internal capacity our energy like right like those things like time energy capacity and it seems like you've got your toes dipped in a lot of things beyond the writing right you're you're writing stories you're doing a podcast you have to do marketing and social media like how do you manage your time and energy and capacity to do good work that's joyful um like like it's a sustainable thing that you can keep going over time and not burn out
1: right there is a lot to just especially self-publishing it's not just writing the books and handing them off to an editor and that's it i I saw a post somebody made recently on what is life like as a full-time author Mm -hmm. and i was like wow this looks like it was written in 1992 this is not even relevant for anybody anymore but um, I think for me, the, like I mentioned before, the thing that makes me happiest is just to kind of sit in my turtle hole or <laughs> writing enclosure or whatever you want to call it, mm. at Turtle Shell, I guess, <laughs> and, and work and not have anybody I have to talk to. I'm definitely hardcore introvert. I, I mean I do enjoy, that only works for a couple of days, and I have to go out and see people <laughs> and talk to people. But as far as the work day, that's how I prefer is just writing the stories. And I don't mind tinkering with Amazon ads and things like that because it's all, you're just playing on the computer. It's not, nobody's having expectations of you to respond to an email or, you know, hey, you joined this group promo and you need to have X, Y, and Z done by this day. Um, that's sort of the stuff that can be kind of the admin stuff or, you know, even answering reader questions mm-hmm. that, um, I have to take breaks from that. Like some days it's like this is fine, I don't mind doing it. But um usually I will when I'm writing a rough draft, I tend to kind of just put as much of that stuff on the side, you know, and I feel bad because I'm not the best at answering emails very quickly mm-hmm. because of this, mm-hmm. but I it's kind of what I have to do is like let me just do the thing I enjoy and really focus on that and not try to be doing 10 things at once. And then I'll take a couple days you know, maybe after I finish the rough before I start editing it and sort of try to get caught up on the admin stuff. And that may be when I go play with some ads or when I try to get stuff together that I know I've agreed to this promo in a month or something. So for me, I I really, when I'm writing, I just want to write and I yeah. really have to focus on that. And I'm happiest doing that. So I've, I've definitely noticed I'll be more stressful on day, days when I'm like interacting with people. There's just a whole bunch going on. I just had my site website security issues going on. And I say like, yeah. oh, this is frustrating to deal with.
0: Yeah. That's good self-awareness. And do you ever give yourself permission not to write when you're like overwhelmed or stressed? Writing
1: sort of the thing I go to when I'm overwhelmed and stressed out. So I give myself permission not to do the admin stuff. Mm. I'm like, okay, I, it's okay if I don't answer email today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow or Saturday or, or whatever. So I guess... I do try to take breaks between books to just, you know, read other people's stuff. I, I usually try to read a little bit in the mornings too, just to continue to do that as an author, I feel yeah. is important, but, um, I'm not the best at taking vacations. So sometimes <laughs> I have to actually schedule something where I'm like going to be going somewhere with other people and therefore I don't want to be working all the time. And that's sort of my best bet for actually taking a week off.
0: Yeah. I, that was, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I know that when I take vacations, I always have an intention to write and yeah. Yeah. You know, having family and stuff makes that a little more challenging. And then it's nice to just get into a flow and explore to and refill the cup. But like, what's your biggest struggle in 2020?
1: I actually, I don't know, things things are going okay as far as the business and all that. Uh, so I really just sort of want somebody that kind of consistently continues to do the same thing. I always say maybe maybe the day will come where I'll back off a little bit and not write so much, but I always have ideas for like the next series ahead, mm-hmm. and so I'm eager to like finish up this project so I can move on to the next one so i don't know i don't know if people even retire from <laughs> once you're an author, I feel like it might be tough to retire because you just always have new ideas yeah. that are taunting you, you know and I'm, I do make myself usually finish things before switching to something else. Or at least finish the book, even if I might wander off from a series for a while, although I do try now to just focus on one series from start to finish. Mm. also, it just seems to be easier, otherwise, I end up having to go back and reread things to uh, figure out what was going on in the, the series I left off um so. Just kind of, I guess for me, the challenge is just giving myself, making myself take time off and, uh, Mm. (laughs) you know, finding that balance of actually having a social life, actually, you know, going and having hobbies that don't involve reading or writing. Mm. So that's sort of the thing that I always have to remind myself, this is good for me. (laughs) It's healthy (laughs) to not always be thinking about work stuff.
0: Right. And like... If you don't, if you're comfortable sharing, do you have you found any hobbies or creative play that you're exploring that's kind of fun right now? I,
1: I enjoy sports stuff. I play tennis. It's one of my, and you know, it's like a good outlet for aggressions too. You get to run around and smack the ball. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, I take my dogs hiking. And I I bought skis and I'm gonna go skiing. <laughs> it's still on the the list. Some stuffs come up with that. One of my dogs has got a torn. Uh, It's like the human equivalent of the ACL, so I've felt like I can't leave for the whole day because she's still young, so she gets in trouble, and uh, Mm. so, you know, usually I actually would take her to doggy daycare, but right now she's kind of doing rehab stuff, so uh, the skiing plans are on pause, but yeah, Mm. sports are something I enjoy because they're a good way to be social while actually doing something. I'm not very good at just like hanging out and talking at the coffee shop. I'm like, let's, let's go hit balls or, you know, let's go hiking while we talk. Yeah. So
0: that's cool. And so what's next? There's the urban fantasy, but like, what is it that motivates you? Is it just getting in the chair at this point and keeping writing or is there something bigger?
1: Uh, Writing, you know, is part of it. And then I just kind of working towards getting to the point where I can be financially independent and not care, you know, Mm -hmm. how much the writing is making. And, you know, I... That's kind of my goal, and I should be able to get there sooner than most, which would be awesome. (laughs) I got a late start, though, not too late. But, I mean, I was horrible at actually saving money or doing anything like that uh, in my 20s and (laughs) into my 30s. So now I'm trying to get all that squared away, and that is the goal to uh, actually get to the point where, you know, I have enough income from other stuff that I don't have to worry too much about the writing anymore, and it can Mm -hmm. just be a fun thing I do. I'm sure I will still write. Like I said, I feel like authors probably – horrible at retiring because it just every time you have a new right. idea you want to write a story but it would be <laughs> nice to get to that point and not have to worry about
0: sure and I, i'm sure
1: everybody feels that way <laughs>
0: yeah I, I think you're right and so maybe the next podcast will be called the um six figure hobby podcast
1: <laughs> the semi-retired author podcast I'm <laughs> <semi-retired. laughs>
0: never retired yeah i don't know what i would I've thought about retirement, you know, and my thoughts changed after I quit my day job. It was like, wait a minute, I don't actually want to stop working because working is my purpose.
1: Right. right. Like I, I feel like people that stop, you know, like anyway they they retire, it seems like they don't make it too much longer after they retire. Yeah, like that yeah. was the thing. So you have to find something else that gives you purpose or, but if you enjoy what you're doing, You know, there isn't that urge, I think, to to quit. I I understand it completely. If you have a job that you hate, wanting to find a way out of that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of get into that because they're driven to do these things and enjoy what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Perhaps the capacity to do a lot of work goes down. You know, more time spent on health and things. But yeah. Well, where can people find you? and more.
1: sure I'm at lindsaybroker.com and then any of the stores I have books in all the major stores and the six figure authors podcast is at six what is it six figure authors.com with the number six if anybody wants to listen to that that hasn't already stumbled across it um yeah that's about it you can find me on twitter and facebook I'm usually on those spots
0: great and is it Baroker on those so I-
1: on Facebook, it is. On Twitter, it's Goblin Writer. <laughs> mm. That predates any you know plans to be a professional on Twitter. So I was just joined it to stock agents originally.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> no goblins in your recent works.
1: They're actually I'm bringing them back in the urban fantasy for the yes. first time. <laughs> so yes. once again, the Twitter handle will be relevant ten years later.
0: <laughs> so. Maybe I can share this. Do you play like role-playing games and that kind of thing? Not right
1: games. now, but I I have played. Uh, yes,
0: yeah, so I have a Dungeons and Dragons. I, I play in a weekly group, and like the thing that irritates me the most are goblin encounters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mine are a little inspired by World of Warcraft. They're kind of the tinkerers and engineers, but mine like to steal things, so they're always like scat. What well, do they call it? Scavenging. Yeah. So they're always just like in some human house, you know, like, oh, what can we use for a project? Uh, so they're kind of...
0: I think what it is, is it feels like an obligatory trope in these in these stories. And,
1: yeah, they're always so, hanging out in dungeons waiting to attack yeah. your party. Right. And it's the <laughs> kobolds. First, the first
0: obstacles, <laughs> goblins and kobolds. And right. I could see that being in the workplace, like your first boss is a goblin, you know, Here manager's manager is a cobalt. <laughs> i mean in real life you know like metaphorically of course that wouldn't happen in real life
1: <clears throat> wow those urban fantasy novels you never know You're right in... <laughs> there's a lot of space
0: for that you know the yeah. the the first urban fantasy book i really loved which i think was considered urban fantasy before it was really hot genre was neverwhere by neil gaiman mm.
1: did, you,
0: did you read that
1: I have not, no.
0: It's definitely more on the dark fantasy side of it. Mm -hmm. But it resembles nothing like what's on the urban fantasy charts today, which is an interesting kind of evolution, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird genre. If you think about it, urban fantasy should be anything set in a city, right? (laughs) Not necessarily earth-based. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember reading some i don't even know if the authors are still around before uh before it really i feel like buffy the vampire Slayer kind of it's about the turning point where it became oh
0: yeah i think you're probably after right.
1: that it became like its own dedicated section in the bookstore not just yeah. here and there lumped in with the epic fantasy
0: yeah have you noticed that with other genres that like in terms of just core identity that they evolve even though the label remains
1: I don't know, you know, following in sci-fi and fantasy, i, I feel like dystopian and post-apocalyptic are very similar to my, to me as a not as a reader of either of them, and mm. I'm always like, why are these two different things they They seem like they're almost the same.
0: Right. It's very pedantic difference, right? Like there was an apocalypse or there wasn't <laughs>
1: right, or it just got bad for no reason.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> things just suck, but it never blew up yeah. Well, hopefully that's not where we're heading, Lindsay. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, ask me one day, I'll give you a pessimistic answer. Ask me the next day and when I'm in a better mood, I'm like, oh, I think we can figure it out.
0: Yeah. Have, so. have you Have you heard of, by the way, the term cli-fi?
1: Cli-fi, what is that? I, I saw this
0: not... on social media and apparently it's... Oh, climate? Yeah, yeah, climate yeah, yeah, science. yeah, it's basically climate science fiction or
1: right i've seen some traditional published stuff falling into that i don't think there's a category yet on amazon maybe there will be mm-hmm. eventually
0: i feel like i saw an indie author or two purporting to write cli-fi yeah on instagram I'd, I'd be super curious to learn more about that <clears throat> maybe via the six-figure author podcast
1: <laughs> well if i run into somebody selling well
0: Yeah, that's the trick, right?
1: Yeah, Uh, that's sort of a little bit of a blur. Would would that be dystopian? Would it go under there, under sci-fi? Or would it be a fantasy, you know, just making it up without worrying about the science? Just as allegorical, (laughs) what could happen?
0: From what I've seen from covers and descriptions, it looks like it's kind of post-apocalyptic, but we're saving the world specifically, and the reason was climate change.
1: Fishes. I did write a story under my pen name that was set like 200 years in the future and I raised the ocean levels I don't know 50 feet or something and Seattle was just a bunch of islands <laughs> and it was kind of uh, well I'm going to say fun to write it's kind of depressing to write
0: but yeah. it didn't
1: sell very well either so that was sort of my one and only commentary on climate change <laughs>
0: right so, yeah people I suppose like to escape sometimes when they're reading
1: yeah and then you worry about half the population half the reading population in least in the u.s is like oh this doesn't exist so are you alienating your fan base by making that the premise of the story Mm. i I feel like readers can all agree space is a thing possibly we'll go there someday (laughs) so you're a little less uh, contentious potentially by writing space opera i don't know
0: Mm. Mm. well lindsay it's been a pleasure talking with you today
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed chatting on your show, too, and I hope the listeners got something out of it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they did. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.